0: It takes an extraordinary team to embark on an extraordinary mission. WealthVest presents the 99 Best Marketing Ideas, a podcast dedicated to bringing financial advisors the most cutting-edge marketing strategies. Listen in as your fellow advisors share their top ideas to help you conquer your marketing needs.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the ninety-nine best ideas for financial services professionals, where we take great marketing ideas from financial advisors all over North America that you can implement directly into your practice. Without a doubt, these are things that work, and we're really happy. Our guest today is Rebecca Hall. She's the CEO of RBH Global Wealth Partners, a private wealth advisory partner practice of Ameriprise Financial. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. It's great to hear. Well, so. Our first question is is just a little bit of a historical perspective for our listeners on why did you decide to become a financial advisor?
2: So the biggest reason, I think, had to do with my parents' situation. So I was working as an economist with the World Bank, traveling a lot, and was looking for something that was not as hard on the family in terms of time away. And around that time, my father was starting to think about retiring. And they couldn't afford to keep the home that we grew up in and have a second home in Florida the way they had wanted. And it, it saddened me to think about the fact that because they'd never worked with anyone and didn't have any guidance throughout all the years that they were working, that they couldn't have the retirement they wanted. Mm -hmm. And so as I started to look for new career options, this is the one that I chose so that I could help them and other people like them.
1: Fantastic background. And and I have a strong feeling, since I am familiar with your practice, that that whole World Bank thing is going to come around again. But what makes your practice unique and different, Rebecca?
2: Well, exactly that. So when I started my practice, I had a very large natural market having worked for almost eight years with the World Bank. And our practice has about 40% of our clients that are not U.S. nationals. We work with employees of international aid organizations like the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, the IDB, and UN. And we have a unique expertise in the special tax and estate planning situations and how investments have to be managed for these clients that very few advisors in our area or frankly in the country do.
1: So you have found a real specified niche. Is that a fair statement?
2: Absolutely. Okay.
1: Now, because of that niche, that has given you some um, opportunities that having a really broad perspective of financial services professional might not lend to you. So what are some of the marketing ideas that you have used within this niche that has worked so well?
2: We don't really do a lot of marketing per se. Mm -hmm. 90% of our client acquisition is through referrals. And probably the other 10% though is educational seminars. So we do speak regularly at the World Bank, just in terms of giving information about things they need to consider if they're investing outside of the World Bank's retirement plans, et cetera. I do also have a network of professionals who specialize in the tax and estate planning needs. And so they know from a referral perspective that I kind of, that we know what we're doing from that perspective. And so there's those centers of influence focused around those clients. There's the educational component, and I am actually listed with the World Bank's retiree organization of one of the preferred providers of financial services.
1: Now, how did you get that? That's the first question I know our listeners are going to ask themselves is, how did you get so deep within the organization?
2: Having worked there for the number of years that I did, when Mm -hmm. I decided to leave, rather than soliciting my natural market, what I did was tell them in a very excited way about what I was moving to, Mm -hmm. what I was going to be doing, why it was so exciting. So I never actually solicited my natural market in the beginning. But as I got more established as an advisor, they simply started to come to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I made it a point of understanding their citizenship and residency issues, the tax, the estate planning, and did a lot of research and educating myself on what it would take to work with those clients. And I started just by word of mouth, getting people coming to me because they had heard that I knew this, but the fact that I worked at the organization was a huge plus for them because I knew the retirement plan, the benefits, the visa situations, all of it, because I'd been a member of the organization. So that was crucial.
1: Okay. That natural market is something that we talk about a lot from a, from a marketing and branding perspective. And we also talk a lot about becoming that expert, right? All of a sudden, you know so much, you know the language, you know their packages, you know it so well. Now you have that because you worked there, but that doesn't mean that an advisor who wants to nest, is what we call it, in a specific company, that they can't still do that. Once you're speaking their language, the word gets around that you're the person who truly knows what they need. That's when things go really well. Now we're going to flip the coin here. I want you to tell our listeners What are some of the marketing ideas that have not worked for you and why?
2: The biggest one is probably large client, bring a friend type of events. Okay. And it could be a function of where we are. Being in the Northern Virginia, DC metro area, traffic is pretty bad here. People work more than 40 hours on average because of the commute. So trying to schedule anything that people will come to on a workday can result in little or no attendance, especially if there's weather, if there's a traffic accident or anything along those lines. And so we've not found that any of those kind of events have been successful for us. Uh, And trying to do it on the weekends, you know, our clients have a life and they have kids and they don't necessarily want to spend their weekends at an event that I'm throwing with a bunch of people they don't necessarily know.
1: Right. That's that's a very, very good point. So let's talk about marketing today. So if you had a nice marketing budget, how would you spend that? What's the best marketing idea that you would use dollars for today?
2: So I have one that we've been doing probably for about the last decade that has been hands down the most successful thing that we do. And that is when our clients retire, We throw them a retirement wine tasting party. The party is at their home if they choose or a restaurant if they'd rather not have it at their house. They control the guest list. We take care of everything else. I have a wine educator that has been doing these for me for the past decade. We bring the wine, the cheese, the chocolate, the bread, the pairings, the glasses, the setup. They tell us who to invite. We take care of the invitations. We take care of the RSVPs. We go to the house an hour or so beforehand and set everything up. And it gives the clients a chance. It gives us a chance to celebrate with them this milestone, but it also introduces them to their us, to their coworkers, their Mm -hmm. family, their friends. So it has been a unique Mm -hmm. and a great way for us to meet the people that they know. And I can't tell you how many times I've been at one of these events and I've had a client brother Coworker come up to me and go, "Well, my financial advisor didn't do this when I retired."
1: <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It is
2: something unique. Yeah. We don't put a limit on how many people they invite. I've had them as small as fifteen people and as large as seventy-five. Oh, wow! And they've been phenomenal in terms of allowing us to get access to all of the client's family and friends. It helps us when we're meeting the kids and the parents and the siblings, but it's also just been a great fun way for us to celebrate these events with our clients
1: execution is the key to something like that. Now you just, you know, kind of gave me a minor pa- panic attack thinking there's a difference, you know, and the event obviously would be fundamentally different between somebody who had 20, 15 to 20 people and 75. How are you able to execute this so that it it comes across without a hitch and people look at you and say, "Man, I wish my advisor would have done that for me."
2: I mean, part of it is definitely the partner we chose in our wine educator. She is phenomenal at these events. I actually met her at an event that had over 300 people at it. Mm. So I knew that she could handle all of the different size events. She has basically done this for me where it is an event in a box, you know, from that perspective. She takes care of handling all of the details. She sends the client a choice of themes for their party. So they can do something like a tour of Italy, all the different wines of Italy. They can do a Northern and a Southern hemisphere. So the client gets involved in kind of how they want to do it. And she makes it a really, really fun event. For my team, we handle the invitations. We have procedures and protocols for what we bring to the event, how often we send out reminders to get RSVPs. So we've done so many of them that Mm -hmm. it's we have a system in place now to making sure that they go off re- without a hitch, and every single one of them has been successful.
1: Systems are vitally important and so are checklists. So if you're trying to execute an event like this, now this is really interesting because Rebecca's talking about a massive contrast in events. This isn't one of those, you know, who do you know and I'm going to schmooze you with the wine tasting event with a bring a friend event. This is an actual life event. There's such a huge difference in the client's mind what you're doing for them. If you're doing the bring a friend event, they know what it is. They know it's marketing and that's why most of them don't work on top of traffic for you in the D.C. area. But you're attaching your name to a hugely powerful life event memory when you're doing it like Rebecca's talking about today. So make sure there's good systems in place. Make sure there's good checklists. And uh, that can make all of the difference in the world. Now, I want to kind of rewind the clock here because, Rebecca, I know you've been an advisor for a, a while now. If you had one piece of advice for new advisors, what would it be?
2: To be really purposeful about the type of client that you work with. At the end of the day, I don't care how much money someone has, if you don't like them, if their expectations are not in line with the services that you can deliver, it will not work. Hmm. It will be a very stressful situation. I have been fortunate to be in a situation where I absolutely love the clients that I work with. I have not taking on clients that I didn't think would be a good fit. And when I didn't listen to my gut in that case, it hasn't turned out well. Mm. So I think the best piece of advice that I could give would be take on clients that you would enjoy working with. You know, I tell clients when I meet them for their prospects, when I meet them for the first time, that working with a financial advisor is, for lack of a better term, it's a very intimate process. If you think about the discussions that we have with clients, Mm -hmm. you get to attitudes about money, how they were raised, how they want to raise their kids. I joke with clients, but they probably tell you more than anyone else in their life Mm -hmm. in terms of having everything all in one place. And clients have jokingly said to me, oh, you're like my therapist. It's not a job I wanted, but it kind of comes with the (laughs) territory when you're talking with people about their money. So there has to be that trust and that kind of connection or the relationship isn't going to work.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and I hope you don't mind if I do this. In, in all, all respect, that sounds all well and good, but but Rebecca, you know, I still need to put food on my table. What else? How, so beyond that, uh, because that's something that I hope that everybody's able to make uh, a good. In fact, you know, I've worked with practices before uh, where one of the greatest events was they fired that one evil client. But this is kind of uh, pairs with our last question, which is what keeps you working so hard every day? When you did start off, I mean, you started off from ground zero, like many of the people who are listening to this podcast right now. You couldn't be that picky and choosy back then. So what did you do? How did you keep yourself motivated, focused, on track, and successful?
2: So I would actually disagree with you in that I could be that choosy back then because when I started this practice – I made sure that if I didn't earn a dime for 18 to 24 months, Uh that it was going to be okay.
1: Gotcha. And
2: that comes across to clients. I was never in a situation where I needed to close the business. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to invest your money or have you hire me. It was because you wanted to and it was a good fit. Hmm. And I know not everyone can afford to do that, Mm -hmm. but even a six month kind of lead up or runway will make a huge difference. And it puts you in a different mindset about how you work with clients.
1: Huh. That was a very, very good rebuttal to me playing devil's advocate there, because I think a lot of advisors too, Rebecca, and correct me if I'm wrong, they don't run their business like a business where you should have operating expenses in the bank. You know, it's very, very hand to mouth. Have you had that experience? personally,
2: no. Do I know advisors who do? Yes. Okay. But if you're going to go into a business where you are talking to people about building a cash reserve, protection planning, and all those things, Mm -hmm. don't you think you should be living that too? And if you personally don't have enough money to survive starting a business, maybe you shouldn't be starting the business.
1: All right. All men to that. I absolutely agree. Okay. So I... I know you relatively well. We've known each other for actually quite a long time here. And and I know the answer to this question, I think. But I'm really interested in hearing how you would explain what keeps you so motivated. For those of you who, I mean, most everybody probably doesn't know who you are, except for the fact that you've been on all sorts of lists of successful advisors. You know, Rebecca's practice is one of the most profitable, efficient practices that I've ever worked with and that I've ever known And your drive really is remarkable. How do you keep this level of intensity, this level of professionalism day in and day out to continue to grow your business the way that you have?
2: I think first and foremost is I absolutely love what I do. So Mm -hmm. I don't think of it as work most days. You know, there are aspects of running a practice that are work. But in general, spending the time with clients, solving, you know, uh, analytical challenges they give us, helping them meet their objectives. it's something I'm passionate about. So I don't have to start each day kind of mustering energy to do it. I wake up excited to go to work. Uh, I look forward to spending time with my clients. Hmm. I don't look at the beginning of a week and say, Oh, Susie's coming in or, Oh, it's Oh great. I get to see, you know, Mr. Mrs. Smith or whoever. So I think that's part of it. And I have a fantastic team. Mm -hmm. So the culture of the practice, we enjoy working together. We make sure we do team building. We take, breaks out together, we volunteer together, we do top golf and other things together, so we have a really good culture here at the office where it 's a, a fun environment. Everyone works hard, but we also take time to socialize and and play as well. so I think that 's part of
1: it perspective and culture Th- those are things that I have consistently heard from top advisors like yourself, people who are very, very successful in the financial services industry intention really does come through in everything that you do, not just meeting with a client. If you don't think you're going to win the business, the probability of winning that business is very, very low. And if you are dreading to see somebody, they're going to feel that dread no matter how good of an actor you are. And it applies to your team, too. If you go in thinking, oh, my God, I have to see Susie today and I hate Susie, uh, you know that's going to become almost like a plague or a fog that goes over your practice. Making sure that you have the opportunity to have the right team, the right culture that you want to develop and on top of that, having the right perspective can make and for Rebecca has made an absolute great world of difference. So Rebecca, is there any question that I didn't ask you that I should have or any closing thoughts?
2: No, I think we covered most of, you know, what I would say. The only other thing I would add is that one of the other things that I think is very important and we've been, I think, very successful at is a lot of our business, as I mentioned, comes from referrals. Mm hmm. And it's because we are building a referable client experience, so I don't, as a general rule, ask clients for referrals, but they come on a pretty regular basis. Hmm. So when our clients have the opportunity because the topic comes up with their friends, they are volunteering the information of you should go meet with Rebecca and her team hmm. so and I think that's because of the service that we provide and You've joked with me, Matt, we go above and beyond on a lot of areas. Sometimes my team tells me we do a little bit too much, but that is what has allowed us to grow at the pace that we've grown without really doing a lot of outward marketing.
1: Right. And being able to reinvest that outward marketing dollars into what's going on in the practice has really also made a good deal of difference because you do have a great team and you pay them well. You've always paid your people well, and uh, that really does go a long way. So, Rebecca, thank you very much for spending time with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And if you have not subscribed to the 99 Best Ideas podcast, please make sure that you click the subscribe now button below. And that way, when we have something new, which will show up directly on your listening device, another great financial services professional who's doing something truly unique and different to grow their practice in the realm of marketing, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And it also gives you a very easy opportunity to share this with other financial services professionals. And since this is free, make sure you do share it with other people because great ideas will only make our industry look better. in the eyes of the client. So, for Rebecca Hall and for everybody at Wealthvest, this is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon.
0: The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wealthvest or Top Advisor Marketing. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by Wealthvest or Top Advisor Marketing. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthVest or Top Advisor Marketing do not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthVest or Top Advisor Marketing does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice.